0: All this talk about seniors, though, has reminded me of a really cool story. When I was a senior in high school, I got a job working for Red Robin. Uh, It was my first real job. Um, I'd worked for some friends in the past, and I was hired as a host and a busboy. And I remember there was a time when I was working, and I would typically wear a cross necklace, and one of my coworkers asked me if I'm religious I was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church and follow Jesus. And, and I remember them, their response to that statement or answer to their question um, went something to the effect of this. Who would believe such a stupid thing like God? And for the first time in my life, I experienced some opposition and pushback to this thing that I have only known since I was born. I grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian school, went to church, finally transitioned to public school. At that point in time, I had such a great close to friends and was so involved. I just really never experienced anybody actively pushing back against that which I believed. And, it, and, it, and I hate to say it, but I, I'm sure I got embarrassed, probably turned bright red, and just didn't say anything and walked away. <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I wasn't in a space where I wasn't prepared to be able to give an answer for the hope that I have, as Peter tells us. And it was interesting because it, there is this piece where I was bothered. I was frustrated. I was, I was really upset with the fact that somebody would push back so bluntly against something that was so important and valuable to me and a piece of really aspect of my identity of being a follower of Jesus. And so this is what we're actually going to look at today because there's a tension that I think we all experience that deserves our attention as we read scripture and as we then navigate life here on earth and try to best live out the truths and the the example that Christ gave us as he lived on this earth. So we're going to dive into John chapter 15. If you brought your Bibles, please go ahead and turn there or open up your... Your app, if you have one of those Bible apps. I'm full, fully convinced that paper is the way to go, though. You don't need to charge it. Uh, it might be a little harder to find it, but that's okay. Challenge is good. Uh, we're going to go to John chapter 15, and I want to preface this real quick by reminding us of what this is on the heels of that we read last week. As Gabby was here and preached on the first portion of John 15 and talked about us being connected to the vine. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Another version of scripture says, remain in me and I will remain in you. And so on the back end of Christ giving this call and analogy for us to remain in him, he has these words in John 15 that we'll read. So I want to invite you, would you please stand if you're willing and able as you read scripture this morning and we'll pick up at verse 18 and it will be on the screen behind me as well. If, I, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember, that, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, then they will obey yours as well. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father." But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. Verse 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. This, uh, this portion of scripture is a really challenging one. As we've looked at Jesus' final discourse, and it, it, they're all challenging ones. And it's kind of just one challenge on top of another on top of another. But this is Jesus giving everyone that has accepted him as their living Savior. People that have prayed and invited Christ into their life, that have yielded themselves to him, have asked him to transform who they are, and received this message of salvation and grace and love and repentance of sin. This is him saying, hey, by the way, the world's, they're not going to like that message within you. They're not going to appreciate this reality that I have brought and am changing you into. They're not going to accept this truth of who I am and who I'm making you To be, Uh, my grandpa passed away a couple years ago, and he was an avid reader. He actually didn't come to Christ until after my my uh, grandparents were married, which is a really beautiful story that someday I hope to share because it's amazing. But I've uh, I've been going through his books lately, and a couple weeks ago, I found this one, and along with a bunch of other books on presidents, and he really loved history and World War II. But this is a, it's a John Wycliffe Bible commentary that my grandpa had. And uh, John Wycliffe was an early reformer. He is most known for translating a lot of the Latin New Testament into English. And so we're talking the 1300s. And he was also known for pushing back against the the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Because he saw, ultimately, the, the, (laughs) the frustration in him was the church was the money, the influence, and the power that they had over people. He seemed, as he read scripture, to seem inappropriate. Uh, But I want to read a portion of this commentary uh, that he wrote on just verse 18, because I think it really encapsulates this idea that Jesus is trying to share with us. And it says this, the world, unredeemed society, estranged from God, held in the grip of sin and the evil one, blind to the spiritual truth and hostile to those who have the life of God in them. What a sentence. Hatred would not be visited upon the disciples in a spirit of anti-Semitism, but as a continuation of the hostility and hatred visited upon Christ. The attack would move from the shepherd to the sheep. As surely as their lives would reflect Christ, so surely would they attract the hatred of sinful men. Jesus knew his disciples would face this hatred from the world, this opposition, this pushback from the world. And he knew they were going to walk into it after he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. And he also knows that that we face it too. He understands the opposition and the things that we feel, that we feel some rub or pushback from. And this doesn't quite get to the question of, you know, should I have really been bothered by this pushback? By, by my coworker when I was in high school at Red Robin, but, but it does address the reality of maybe maybe our expectations are off. Maybe my expectations were off in that moment. Maybe I was expecting the world and people of the world to be a little more accepting or a little more okay with the fact that, that I might have a set of beliefs that they really didn't appreciate or like. And, and in that, it's not a personal thing. It's not that they didn't like me. But like John Wycliffe was saying... Sinful man doesn't really like the truth that the gospel gives us. It doesn't really appreciate the the life of love and grace that Jesus exemplified for us and calls us to live out now. My expectations were off. Jesus is giving us a new set of expectations of how we ought to see pushback and opposition from the world around us because of who he has called us to be who he's transforming us to be, and what the truth of his word has to tell us as well. It reminds me of something that Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.4. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civil affairs, but rather tries to place, tries to please his commanding officer. And this doesn't mean, Paul isn't saying like, don't uh, get involved in your community. Don't, you know, Help serve your teachers or don't. He's not saying don't be involved in things. He's saying don't get too entangled with the things happening here that we don't please our commanding officer, our Lord and Savior of our life. So I'm going to turn to a handful of scriptures. They'll all be on the screen behind me. Um, And I want to encourage you to follow along because um, as I did my study in this idea of the world hating us as followers of Jesus because they first hated him to the point of killing him on a cross. As we read the New Testament, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. This dichotomy between the the flesh and the spirit, or following the Lord and following Christ and following the ways of the world. So, uh, John 17. Just turn your page, maybe one or two flips. John 17, we'll start at verse 14. Jesus says this, uh, and I'm not stealing too much thunder because we won't get to this portion of Scripture until September, so it'll be okay. Uh, verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you may, you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. This is Jesus praying to the Father, in his high priestly prayer that we see in John 17, this is the Lord literally speaking to God, saying, Hey, they are not of this world. Don't take them out, but Lord, protect them. Father, protect my disciples as they live here. Uh, let's go to First John chapter 4. Towards the end of your scriptures, First John chapter 4. For any of you high schoolers who read this about, four weeks ago. First John chapter 4. Uh, we'll start with verse 3. This is, um, this is John instructing the church on how to discern between spirits that are from the Lord and spirits that are from anything else. All right. Um, verse 3. Here we go. But every spirit, I'm going to make sure. Yep. But every spirit <clears throat> that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. You are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how you recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Matthew 4, uh, chapter 16. let's flip back to Matthew Matthew 16. and um, we'll pick up I'm, I was reading through this earlier this morning and um, Let's pick up at verse 24. Heather, I think you've only got 26, and I apologize. But let's look at, pick up at verse 24. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul James 4:4 4, 4 says this you adulterous people strong language from James there you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God therefore anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God I often appreciate James's black and white perspective when it comes to his half-brother Jesus, and the words and the teachings that he had here on this earth. Last portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 20, and then 24. Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there your heart will also be. Verse 24: No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be destroyed, or you will de- be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Scripture is, is clear for us as born-again followers of Christ, we should not be consumed, defined, or identified by any means with the world. And the things of it. This is what Jesus was talking about when he was having a conversation with Nicodemus about being born again. And not a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth. It's having a new set of identities. Yes, we live in the world, absolutely. We can't just go live under a rock or in the middle of nowhere. Because I think that would take away from the mission that the Lord has asked us all to be a part of. That he's called us into. And yet we're called to be of the world and not, or we're called in the world, but not of the world. It's a high order and it's a high challenge. So what about the world is so enticing? Why? What, what draws us in? Why do myself and, I mean, we can all agree, us followers of Jesus wrestle Wrestle with coming back to the things of this world. And, and first and foremost, we're, we're sinful, broken people that need a Savior. I think we can, Josh was talking about that up here this morning. We desperately need salvation from our sin because it's a sinful pattern that we come back to looking to the world for things that only God can give us. But I think one of the other big reasons that the world is, the world is really, really validating it, it's really quick to say, oh, yeah, well, buy this thing and, and you'll, be, you'll be accepted. You'll, you'll be validated. Oh, well, you, you're not feeling it? Well, you should go do X or eat Y or go buy this or post this post or say this thing or dress this way or act this way and you'll be, you'll be accepted. You'll be a part of culture. You'll be known. You'll have influence. You'll be liked. And it gives us instant validation. 20 years ago, you couldn't post something on the internet and instantly have somebody from halfway around the world like it. And you get a little validation hit that like, "Ooh, yay. Somebody I don't know from somewhere I've never been likes something that I posted. <laughs> that wasn't a thing. It wasn't a possibility. We live in a world now which is amazing that we're connected as we are. That Donata could go back to Germany and Esther and her could FaceTime, they figure out the time difference, right? Like, that's amazing! But the flip side of that is the fact that we could post something and somebody could give us an instant hit of validation. An instant, yeah, good for me. And the flip side is also true it could be an instant tear somebody down. Things are said on the internet that nobody would ever say to somebody else's face, ever, simply because it's a screen seems strange to me. The world likes to validate people quickly. It's quick to say, you can do or be whatever you want and good for you. Way to go. When we look at scripture though, the Lord's validation of his followers is different. It's there, it's absolutely there. But it looks different. It's a journey. It's over a course of time. It's a process of being sanctified, of becoming holy as he is holy. And as we follow him and we pursue righteousness and we long for this holiness that he gives us and we repent of our sins as we sin along the way, along the journey, we begin to look more like him and less like us. Like, like John the Baptist told us in John 3D, that he may be. Increase and we may decrease. As we look more like him and less like us, our feelings begin to then catch up to what we know and understand about who God is and who we are. We can only have one master, one love, and there's a competition for who gets to sit on that throne of our life. It's God or anything else. It could be self, it could be friends, it could be promotion, it could be you fill in the blank. Anything else besides God sitting on the throne is being worshipped. The more that we love the world, when we ought to love God, the more opposition from the world, when it comes, it will bother us. It will rub us the wrong way. I want to go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John tells us this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. After I read that scripture this week, I had an instant just gut check. I don't know, I grew up in the athletic world, but we would do these things called gut checks, which were literally just to see whether you would work out to a certain degree and whether you'd throw up or not. Um, that was really what they were. But there's this piece where like, I gotta check myself on this. And the, the reality came to be as I read that, I was like, so what if the world pushes back against us? So what if there's this opposition to the truth that we have, the truth of the scriptures should we be really seeking, should I be seeking any aspect of validation or acceptance from this world? And what I came to, uh, over the past couple years, Lauren and I have lost family members, uh, loved friends, as they have passed on from this world and into eternity with Christ. And as I read this scripture, it reminded me, at the very end there, it says, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. The things of this world are, they're all going to pass away. Even like my, like the ministry that the Lord has called me to that I get to be able to do, which is really significant and celebrating some of these senior guys that I've been able to walk with for seven years. Literally watch them grow up physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all the things. It's incredible. Like, even that. Like that time spent, all the things that we did, like that will pass away. And what sticks is eternity with Jesus in heaven. And as we've navigated this season of losing close friends and family members, Lauren and I have found ourselves turning back to the reality of heaven. And that's the goal. (laughs) That's where we're all going That's the outcome that we have as followers of Christ, as those who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And is that reality affecting how I'm living now? Is that reality affecting how I'm seeing people, how I'm seeing situations here and now? We were never designed to be fully embraced by this world. Maybe aspects people like to love, which is good, but outside of God, we cannot know love. And so is it really the purest form of love that people like of this world? Our home, our true home is in heaven. At the end of the day, our true home is in heaven with Jesus. Uh, As Paul put it, "To, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. How do we know this? Well, Jesus told us, John 14, we back up just a couple weeks ago, we covered this portion of scripture, John chapter 14, Jesus says this to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If there, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am and know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. And the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Our heavenly home, Christ is preparing it for us. And so the things of this world, uh, I'm reminded of that hymn, the things of this world uh, grow faintly dim. Strangely dim, thank you, sweetheart. Grow strangely dim. As we focus more on who Christ is, the truths of this word, the things of this world seem to just become less, hold less weight, hold less value. So what what's the point in all this? Really like what is what is Jesus getting to? And and here's here's kind of the takeaway for the morning. Followers of Jesus should believe and behave differently than the world. There should be something different about us that sets us apart from the world. Not that it makes us anything better actually. I think it's the reality that we're we're not better than anybody. <laughs> I think it's the reality of we're sinful and we need a savior and we just happen to find the guy who is the savior. And then that Savior asked us to turn around and help people who haven't found him yet. Like, hey, come, come meet this guy who saved me. As the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well said, come meet the man who told me everything that I ever did. The reality is, followers of Jesus, there's this aspect of being countercultural, or being... Uh, a little bit different than the world around us, and not countercultural or different for different sake, like not, not just to be uh, against, to be against, but truly at, out of a call of obedience, not in an act of defiance. Followers of Jesus are called to live lives of obedience to Him. Jesus said, "Those who love me do as I have commanded you to do." It's not in a sense of opposition. The more we struggle with our identity, though, the more the opposition of the world bothers us. As a senior in high school working at Red Robin, my identity wasn't solid. It wasn't really rooted deep enough to handle the blowback or the opposition from the world. It rattled me. It shouldn't have, but it, but it did. So for us to be followers of Jesus to behave, and to be different, there's one example that comes to mind. Um, and it's a guy named Paul. <laughs> Paul had his identity wrapped up in being a, a Pharisee, uh, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, being one of the best of the Pharisees of the time, to the point where following followers of Jesus were the enemy And he went from town to town, persecuting, arresting, imprisoning, beating, killing, followers of Jesus. And it wasn't until he got an identity change, he met Jesus. And Jesus spoke the truth into him of who he sees him to be and changed his name. To where then he began to become the persecuted, become the one who was beaten, and wrongfully arrested. And Paul experienced such extreme opposition, but what we don't really get from scripture, and and I guess we don't really fully understand, but we don't ever get him being frustrated or upset by it. It doesn't seem to get under his skin like it did for me when I was working at Red Robin. Why? Paul knew who he was. Paul knew who his Lord was. Paul knew the mission that he had for him to do. And so he said, well, you're going to arrest me? Well, I guess I get to share the gospel with the prison guards and the other prisoners. Oh, you're going to break me out of prison? Awesome. Super. Let me go share this amazing experience with this group of people and allow them to see the power and the authority of who God is. He, he was so on mission and so focused in his identity that the things of this world just seemed to grow strangely dim. And he continued on. Doing what the Lord asked him to do. So, two things that must happen for us to to be believers, followers of Jesus that believe and behave differently. First of which, we have to recognize our own need for a Savior. Period. And that's not a one-time thing. That's a daily, moment-by-moment, minute-by-minute reality of I am sinful and I need a savior. I I have wronged the God of the universe. I have lived in rebellion against him and I need his son to save me. I need the blood of Jesus on my life. And in that, our identity becomes reshaped. The Holy Spirit begins to do a new work in us, speak new identity, new sense of belonging over us as we allow him to work. In our lives. And the second thing that is truly to behave differently is to actually share the gospel with people. Is to actually give away the gift of Jesus that we've been given. Gifts are only gifts when they're given. If we hold on to a gift, it becomes a possession. The gift of the gospel is just that. It's a gift to be given away. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Not only was he meeting people's spiritual sins and spiritual issues, but he was helping them physically as well. There's a marriage between the two. As we share the gospel, it's not only lip service pointing to a God, but also how can we actively serve somebody? How can we actively help somebody improve? Satan's in the business of causing followers of Christ to become frustrated, upset, concerned, worried, fearful, that if we go and tell somebody the good news of Jesus Christ, that they're not going to like me, that they're going to reject it, that I'm going to look like a weirdo, it's just going to be awkward. And he would rather us be concerned about our own fears, worries, an opposition from the world than actually do what Christ has called us to do, which is share the good news of Jesus Christ and not shove it down anyone's throat because that never is beneficial, but to walk alongside people, to live the gospel and to speak the gospel and to make disciples that make disciples. Uh, I've been re-watching The Chosen because uh, it makes me cry and it reminds me of, of a, it's hard for me to sometimes imagine Jesus like as I read scripture to see and they just do such a great job. But uh, one of the last episodes in season one when Jesus is kind of rallying all the all the disciples together and, and he walks by Matthew's tax collector's booth. And at this point in time, Matthew has been around a few times and has seen Jesus do some incredible things and he's really wrestling. He's really trying to to figure out what's what right now and Jesus walks by they make eye contact he keeps going and then he stops and turns around and he calls them out and says Matthew follow me and then he says it again and Peter runs up to Jesus he's like what are you doing what are you, what's going on he's like ask him do you know who this guy is do you know what he's done to our people and Jesus looks at math, or looks at uh, at Peter, and and he tells him to pretty much just like, dude, you're no better. And and Peter's response is, but this is different. Like he was a ta- he's a tax collector. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get used to different. And I think there's a piece of that that is true for us. We're like, I think as followers of Jesus, there's a point where we need to be okay with different. We need to be okay with different from what the world may say should be. The expectations that the world puts on us, that culture puts on us, they are so heavy and they are so not beneficial. Working with students, we see this week in and week out of reminding them of where their identity comes from and that the pressure and the the concern to measure up isn't there and specifically within the sports arena to free up young people to go play and no pressure to perform because they've already been validated by their heavenly father the same goes for us as we go into our work weeks as we go into raising our kids as we go into whatever it may be our identity in Christ it removes the pressure that society puts on us when we allow it to we allow the Holy Spirit to transform who we are. I want to invite the, the worship team to come up. And, and actually, if you all want to stand, I, I have one last portion of scripture I'd, I'd love to read over you. Because I believe it is exactly the reality that Paul spoke over himself when he was sitting in prison. Or when he was uh, shipwrecked. Or when he was getting stoned to death and left, and abandoned. He wrote these words in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to trust and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. These words were written to a church that lived in a pagan empire in a pagan time. Here we are 2,000 years later and these words, they they hit home because we are living in a a pagan time in society and culture. Uh, The world continues to drift further from the truths of God's word, the truth of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And as the world does so, as followers of Christ, we begin to look more different if we're truly living out the scriptures that Christ has given us and follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit in our day to day lives. And so, church, I, I want to invite us all to, to be okay with that. And, it, and it's a battle, and it's, and it's. Lauren and I talked about it this week. It's a wrestling match, it's hard. He who has overcome the world has living within us. The same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave is the same spirit that lives within followers of him. And he's not asking us to do anything on our own. He's actually done this before and he's paved the way for us to follow him. So church, let's believe and behave different on purpose, for his purpose, carried out here Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we give you all the glory and the honor for what you're doing here on earth right now. God, I ask and I pray and I plead with you that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your Holy Spirit leading to those around us. Convict us of our own sins, Lord. Pull us back into repentance and returning to who you are and who you've called us to be take us from that place and help us turn outward to speak to people, to give them a hope for eternity that you have given us, found in your son Jesus. We thank you for what you're up to God, we know you're doing incredible things, even greater than we could ever think or imagine.